You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and before we get into this week's interview, let's talk about our sponsors, Facebook Design, Google Design, and MailChimp. You know, there's three things that set designing at Facebook apart from designing anywhere else. Scale, variety, and investment. Facebook Design's work has impact at scale, including your friends and family or people from the other side of the globe. Facebook Design also works on a huge and diverse range of problems, and they truly invest in design, caring deeply about how their team might do their best work. Sound interesting? Then learn more at facebook.com forward slash design. Google Design is a cooperative effort led by designers, writers, and developers at Google. They work across teams to publish original content, produce great events, and foster creative and educational partnerships that advance both design and technology. For more information on news, design resources, and their design podcasts, check them out at design.google. MailChimp is the world's leading marketing platform for small businesses, but really, it's a great marketing platform for all businesses. MailChimp grows with you, so as you get bigger, they have more features for you when you're ready to use them. So whether you're just starting out or you want to take your business to the next level, give MailChimp a try. Check them out at MailChimp.com. Now for this week's interview. We're talking to interaction designer and software designer, Sean Mosley. Let's start the show. All right. So tell us who you are and what you do. All right. So my name is Sean Mosley and I'm an interaction designer right now. I'm living out in the Bay Area, getting my experience inside the tech mecca. But other than that, I'm a busy dad trying to keep up with my daughter. And I also run my own podcast, Successful While Parenting. Okay. We'll talk about your podcast later. I'm interested to know kind of what it's like for you working out there in the Bay Area. I know that we hear a lot just in the news and, of course, through personal anecdotes on social media about what it's like being a Black person in tech, being a Black person in Silicon Valley, etc. What has your experience been like? So it's been interesting. Uh, (laughs) And I mean, just up front, like I think for the first while, I've been pretty much the only Black person around, depending on the different teams I've been working on. And even inside the company. So even if I'm on a team of five and no one else is black, like around the company, I'm still very rare. And so lately I've gotten a manager who's also black and then we've also hired someone else who's black. So it's really kind of cool and interesting to see, like, as long as I've been here in the Bay Area and I haven't been around that many black people, it's kind of interesting seeing like, Once you do have it around you, how much that changes the environment and it changes it for the good of being able to have someone you can relate with, being able to have some someone that understands your mindset and your mind frame. And I mean, that's not to downplay uh, my other coworkers who are of different race and nationality, but just to say that there's differences. And, And I mean, I appreciate and respect theirs, but is is definitely something different when you have somebody that looks like you and knows a similar background. And it's also kind of interesting coming from like 
outside of tech but still in the Bay Area is is really tough because the homeless problem here is mm. really rampant. And sadly, a lot of the times, most time that I would see black people are if they are homeless. And so, I mean, it's, that's also another hard pill to swallow being here in the Bay. Oh, wow. I was out there back in October and I noticed that too, how large the homeless population is. And every time that I've been back, I went back in like 2016 or so as well. And I was just surprised by how huge the homeless population is there. And a lot of them are people of color. That's really sad to see. Yeah. Yeah, it, it definitely is. And I don't know if it's that it's gotten worse over the, the short period of time I've been here because I've moved here from Atlanta in 2015. Okay. And so I've, I've only been here a little over three years, getting close to four. But I can't tell if it's gotten worse or if it's just like I'm now seeing more of the Bay Area. But it's definitely a hard sight to see and a hard pill to swallow of living in the Bay Area right yeah. now. Because like you're on this path where certainly it's it's upward mobility, you're taking care of your family, and then the only other people you see that look like you are in like the opposite position, you know? Yeah. And and it's also that, that weird, I guess, catch-22 where it feels like they are also homeless because – People like me who have flocked out for the tech industry mm. are coming out and displacing them. So it's it's yeah a lot of feels there. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I understand. That's like a weird level of double consciousness in a way where you're like the problem and the solution in a way. Yeah, it's yeah, I, I yeah, I know exactly what you mean there. Talk to me a little bit about the kind of work that you do. Like, what's a typical day like for you? So I guess a typical day is not typical, (laughs) but right now I'm on the Intuit design system team. And so right now we are building out all of our components. And so like, I think a lot of other companies have design systems that are already built. But one thing that's kind of interesting with Intuit that some people may not recognize is Intuit's been around for 35 years Mm. and in tech speak, that's like ancient of ancients. Yeah. And so it is super interesting to see how they've like kept in front and, and been a front runner in the tech industry. And as we're building up that now, so I'm working on that. And then also as a another like thing that I'm trying to push for is bringing awareness around quantitative data efforts. Because, again, going back to the point that, like, we're an old company, when a lot of our legacy software was built or it was built a while ago, analytics wasn't a thought. It wasn't a, oh, we need tracking in the software. It was, we need the software built. So now as we're kind of improving and getting better around these different things, I'm trying to help drive how do we surface it? How do we make that information available? And so... Those are the pretty much the, the two main things that I'm tackling on a day-to-day. And for people that are listening that might not be familiar, Intuit is the company behind QuickBooks, TurboTax, I think fairly recently Mint, although I think they've, they acquired Mint like 10 plus years ago or something, but they do a mm-hmm. lot of uh, financial data taxes, stuff like that. Correct. And that's Correct. interesting. I guess a lot of the design work that you do tends to deal with data, it sounds like as an interaction designer. Is that true? 
So I'm not that deep in in the product. So when I first came here, I was actually helping with our customer success team. So basically, if you ever needed to call QuickBooks or, or ask for help or anything, mm-hmm. I was designing that process, helping with figuring out uh, how to improve our website or if you're using our product, how do you use that? So that was pretty much it, which is a completely different flow than your typical like actually using and running with your data. And then recently I've shifted and I'm now helping with the design systems. So again, it's kind of I'm abstracted. I'm in this company that's like data rich, Mm -hmm. but I'm abstracted to an area where my main focus is not on how do customers see this data, but how can I help the designers by giving them different components that they can pick up and use quickly? Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And and like you said, being out there in the Bay and being such a longstanding company, because the company has been around for a long time, Mm -hmm. maybe it's just more of a stable work environment than say if you were at some Silicon Valley startup or something like that. I would definitely say so. Yeah. You definitely have the stability of this being a larger company compared to a startup. So, yeah, I would say, yeah. All right. So you said before that you uh, moved out there from Atlanta. You moved out there for the job or did you just move for just better career prospects in general? So a little bit of both. My wife is a resident to become an OB-GYN. And just a heads up to any listeners, like, if you know somebody that wants to be a doctor, make sure they want to be a doctor. <laughs> that is the toughest career path. And like, you have to know that you want it. So yeah, off that tangent. So I have family in South Florida. My wife has family in Georgia. And I have uh, some family that's also in Georgia. But we were looking for places for her to do residency in Florida and Georgia weren't great options for us mm-hmm. or not available. And so we were like, all right, well, this is will be four years where we can go out, experiment, and either A, learn a new city, or B, just do, do something we want to do. And so we thought on it, and I've always wanted to come to the Bay Area for tech, and my wife was cool with it, and she found a place out here that was a fit for her. And so We did it. Uh, And I actually didn't even have a job lined up. We Mm -hmm. came out here. We had a three month old. We had our daughter, which we drove across America. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Yeah, it was it was a fun trip. We drove across America, came here and I didn't have a job. So I was hitting the ground running. My wife had her residency set up and she was doing that. So during the day, I was taking care of my daughter and looking for jobs. And at first I honestly came out here arrogant and was like, I'm a Georgia Tech grad. I'll have jobs coming after me. It's tons of jobs. This is the Bay Area. And like reality hit and humbled me and was like, you're going to have to earn this kid. <laughs> like this, is, this don't come free. And what, so what kind of experiences did you have when you were looking for jobs? So I had worked at Lockheed Martin as a software developer for okay. like a year or two. And then went to grad school at Georgia Tech. Mm -hmm. And I think I just underestimated how, like, what it would take to do a job search. Plus, it was also a bit more difficult because nine times out of 10, I was home alone with my daughter. So 
like anything that I'm trying to do, I have to also balance taking care of my daughter at the same time. Mm. Okay. I gotcha. That makes sense. I was wondering if it was just difficult because maybe they didn't recognize the school or something like that. I think sometimes that happens. Uh huh. Honestly, it's, it's kind of interesting to where, you know, over on the East Coast, you mentioned Georgia Tech. No one questions it. But I, I felt like over here, I think everyone's used to Stanford, Berkeley, UCLA, UCSD. But I mean, I could be talking from my own perception, but I would say it's not as large, largely renowned as I expected. I got you. No, that's what I was I was hinting at. I went to school here. I'm in Atlanta as well. <laughs> and I went to school there. I went to Morehouse. And it was surprising to me, even from other places in Atlanta, people that didn't know Morehouse or had never heard of it. They assumed that I meant Moorhead State University in Kentucky or something. They didn't think that I meant what? Morehouse. Or they had never heard of it for some reason. And certainly, <laughs> I interned, actually. I interned not too far from San Jose. I interned in summer of 2000. I was in Moffett Field, right outside of Mountain View. And I remember talking to people there and nobody knew, had never heard of Morehouse, didn't know oh, what yeah. it was. These were black people too, which was really oh, interesting. Sure. I was like, oh, oh sure. okay. That's, <laughs> that's, I was like, it's a big, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. went there. Does that yeah, ring a bell? No. no? Okay. No, so, no. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of funny though. Yeah. My, my wife actually went to uh, Morehouse Med. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Yep. So what was your kind of uh, career like out there? I know you said you were looking for jobs. Where did you kind of start out at? Was it at Intuit or did you work somewhere before that? No. So I had two jobs before Intuit. And the first one was kind of an internship. And that one was kind of quick or whatever. But then I went and landed at a small, I would rather say medium-sized company. It was 24-7 Inc. And it was it was a really interesting experience. My manager at the time was... Fantastic. And pretty much exactly what I needed at that time of life of someone that was going to guide me to see the best in me and like build me up and and let me learn and and figure out like and and building up that confidence of like, look, no, you're a good designer. You do things very well. You think it through. You prove your reasonings and you are also able like you're familiar with code and you're able to build it up like that's that's a very strong set that some people don't have. And so that company was focused around customer service solutions. So basically your IVRs or your chatbots and even up to your agents. But what I was focused on was the digital design for what we called multimodal apps. And what it was is you'd call into your typical phone system and as it would be talking to you, it would recognize like, oh, you're on a cell phone. And so we'd send you a text and in that text would be a link and you could click the link and it open the website. Mm, okay. But it's, it was super interesting because with it, you have the website open, but you're still on the phone. And so what that meant was we were able to parse your voice and you would also still able to tap. And so we were experimenting and seeing, like, what is that like? How does that flow? How are we able to help someone, like, actually achieve something? And so it was really cool. We were one of the um, early experimenters, I think, in, like, in and with multimodal and that type of design and stuff. Yeah, now I feel like that kind of interaction is pretty standard. 
if you're like on a mobile website, it always tries to push you over to the app or something like that. Mm-hmm. Let's kind of go back a little bit. Let's go back to uh, your time here when you were in Atlanta. You said you went to Georgia Tech for, for graduate school and everything. When did you know that design was what you wanted to do for a living? When did that strike you? That struck me probably while I was doing software development at Lockheed Martin. I often describe some of that period to where I came out from. I went to UCF, Go Knights, where my undergrad studies was computer engineering. Okay. And I just knew I was like, at first when I went to UCF, I was like, all right, I'm going to go ahead and by UCF, if I'm using acronyms, that's University, University of Central, Central Florida. Florida. Yeah. Yep. Yep. The team that keeps getting disrespected in NCAA <laughs> football, that, that UCF. Um, but when I was first going in, I was like, all right, I want to do video games. And then I actually watched a movie, Grandma's Boy, which like kind of showed like the video game industry. And I had heard up to that point, like it was rough in the video game industry, but I kind of saw it, that movie and I was like, Eh, if this is anything like reality, I'm kind of not interested in uh-huh. doing video games, but I still want to build stuff. And so I learned software development at UCF, graduated, went and worked at Lockheed Martin. And the thing I always say is when I was building the software, there were some things that felt good, but and it was cool to work my way through the different problems. But sometimes it was also just like, it felt like I was just pushing ones and zeros. And I often say I was like, it was like laying bricks, but not really knowing why you're laying bricks. Yeah. And I was like, well, what is that? What is, and I got kind of interested in that. And so I started looking to grad school and I was in between Georgia state and Georgia tech. But then once I learned about Georgia tech's human computer interaction program and the fact that it got deep and it was like, not just getting to how do you build an app, but getting to why you would even need to build an app and who you would be serving and getting to the user and the person behind the keyboard. It, it really changed my mind in the way of how I looked at software. I had to look up Grandma's Boy as you mentioned that because <laughs> I, I heard of the movie and I was like, I have a vague recollection of it. Wow. So this yeah. this is the movie that kind of talked you out of it. Like, yeah, I don't think this is for me. Yeah, it was just like uh, having the insane deadlines and like it, it wasn't much glory to it and stuff. And so I was yeah. like, yeah. Fair enough. I'm not going to lie. When I was working for the state of <laughs> I was working for the state of Georgia in 2005, and I think that was the first time I saw Office Space. Oh, yeah. And that's. <laughs> completely turned me off <laughs> to working for any kind of very large company yeah. because I wasn't, I wasn't working for a big company at the time, like working for the state of Georgia. Like I had my own office and everything. It was, it was small, but big in a way, but it was, there were some of those same elements of like, there's cubes, there's the annoying receptionist, that sort of thing. <laughs> those same kind of tropes existed. And I was like, this movie is like strumming my pain with its finger. One it's, time. It, you know what I mean? It's like, too real. It's it too, too real, real, man. <laughs> it was way too real. That's, that's, that's been the office show pretty much any and everywhere I go. Yeah. yeah. And if and, they come out with a sequel, they'll probably just have 
it'll be like the same movie, but instead of uh, cubicles, everyone will be in the uh, open floor. Yeah, <laughs> open floor plans. <laughs> open floor plan, or or at least in some way work in like remote workers. Like the company I work for, we're we're like half remote. It would be interesting if there was an office space too. I'd like to see how they would spoof current work culture because I feel like it would be just brutal. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you'd have all the weird behaviors from um online conference calls to uh, uh, yep no no you go bop bop yeah <laughs> oh wait wait you're breaking up what was that what did you say <laughs> can you see my screen right can, you see, can everyone okay <laughs> so talk to me a little bit about your uh creative process as much as you can with with the work that you're doing at Intuit. i know it's it's probably mostly confidential i'm sure but mm-hmm. how do you approach a new project at work when it comes to something that you have to do Gotcha. So right now for us, like I said, we are building out our design components. And the one thing I guess that we look at first is figuring out our, we have two customers, one, the actual end user, and then two actual product designers that are actually going to consume our, our product in order to build and solve for their need. And so for us, it's kind of starting and looking through those two lenses and seeing, one, what customer problem will this component solve? And then second, how are product designers solving for that today? And so we start off like we look at existing patterns and try to figure out what are the best practices for these situations. And to make it less abstract, I guess I can give a, more of an example for something like a modal dialogue. So it's how are we using it? What are the the reasons that a dialogue is popping up? For a user problem, what reason would we want to pop up a dialogue? Why would we not want to pop up a dialogue? And with that, like I said, Intuit as a whole does not have its own design system. Each of the different business units, we have our own design system, but we're we're working because all of our different products were or groups were different companies once mm-hmm. upon a time and bought and brought together. Yeah. It's we're working now and being more of one company and working towards that. And so as we are building out the components, we're figuring out like, how do we also communicate it to all of the designers here and make sure that as we're building it out and, and thinking of these different things, it's we're also communicating why we went a certain way and, and how they can follow along and stuff like that. So I hope that answers the question. I'm kind of, is it, I know it's a bit abstract and high level. Well, no, it sounds like there's just a lot of cross team communication as you're building, just to make sure that I guess the left hand kind of knows what the right hand is doing. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I got you. And got you. we're like a four hand monster, if not six <laughs> at different times. So a lot of, a lot of cross hand conversations going on. I got you. Okay. So let's kind of switch gears here a little bit. Now we're recording this kind of near the beginning of the year. What do you want to accomplish for the year? Have you kind of thought about the goals that you want to accomplish? Actually exercising more grit. And I'll elaborate on that term. It's a term that's been coined by Angela Duckworth. And I heard about it on a Freakonomics podcast. And it's basically about your ability to make it through tough things Mm -hmm. and 
how to stick with things. Um, and so back before I used to joke and say, I'm a professional quitter and being able to say like, when something's not working for me, I would quit it and move on to the next thing. So for example, when I was like at uh, Lockheed Martin, I had issues with work and, and I was like ready for the next stage of life. And I was like, at the time I was debating, I was like, should I still work and go to school or, but then it's not, I'm not going to finish quickly. I'm going to take longer and blah, blah, blah. And then once I went to school or or I did a tour, they had us do a tour before the, the actual semester started. And I was just blown away by like everything I saw. We sat in on a class we had, we sat in on um, a presentation by Aaron Walters and he was at MailChimp at the time and mm-hmm. and was just blown away by like the intelligence, the conversations and everything that was going on there at tech. And I was like, I'm going to miss majority of this stuff if, if I do school while I'm at work full time. And I was like, no, I'm going to quit. Mm-hmm. I'm going to quit. And, I felt, and looking back, at, I would definitely say it was the best thing for me at that time. But I've I've had that kind of often (laughs) to where with, and I'm pretty sure other people can relate to where it's like, I'll have a, an quote unquote awesome idea that I want to make for an app or something like that. And I'm like, I'd do it as a side project and I'd start, but I wouldn't finish Mm. and I would quit. And so now I'm looking back and I'm like, if there's one thing that I want to improve and change is that grit to one, pick the right problem and make sure that I'm doing it so I'm I'm not distracted and I'm focused. And then second, once I'm in it, like I'm sticking it through and seeing it to, uh, to the end. Okay. Now, of course, I, I ask that because you mentioned you have a podcast. Your podcast is called Successful While Parenting. Mm-hmm. And on the latest episode, you talked about failures. Nah, you talked yeah. about <laughs> ways that you had and I'm not trying to like dredge it up oh, bad things, but it's it's related no. to what you just said about how, you know, you kind of wanted to exercise more grit. And so with that instance, there were projects that maybe you started and didn't finish and you just kind of wanted to, uh, to sort of, uh, see it through since you've recorded that episode and everything, how have you been making progress on that? So for that one, I've not, Okay, <laughs> but that's just because Well, I mean, the holidays was kind of a busy time, which big shocker there. But it's it's been a bit of I've been busy and a bit of I'm making excuses. Some things I I'm still still working on it all. So uh, it's just pushing myself and making sure I'm sticking with it. So going through. Yeah. Going through that. Yeah. Okay. Now, what made you decide to start the podcast successful while parenting? Tell me about that. (laughs) Gotcha. So when I moved out here to the Bay, the whole time I've been in the Bay, I've been a parent. And so kind of living has been interesting of seeing like different lives that people lead. Like, I I guess back in the days, I I don't think it's as much so now, but like in the Bay Area, one thing that like startups and and tech uh, companies love to do is this idea of happy hours and all this other stuff, which it works when you're a single 20 something year old. (laughs) But 
if you have to run home and take care of your child or there are different times where your child is sick and things like that, like you have to juggle new responsibilities that your coworkers may or may not relate with and understand. Mm, yeah. And so like that was always a, a constant thing going for me. And I would listen to the Tim Ferriss podcast and read different self-help books. And I think all of it was catered again to that single person who was an adult and essentially responsible for themselves and didn't have to answer to anything else or didn't have to worry about dance recital or, or dropping everything at a uh, drop of a dime because somebody, uh, they just threw up at school. Your kid threw up at school. Like, all of that, like, and so I was just interested in, and I would just talk to people about it. And I was like, what, what are people doing for it? Where are they going? And I think it was my old manager who bumped me and he was, and he was like, you should make a podcast about it. And I was like, me, a podcast. Why? Why? Who wants to <laughs> listen to me? That, that's not likely. So, but from there it was, it was like, a year plus in the making and me thinking through it. And like I said, I wanted to make sure that I didn't just jump into it. And I, I wanted to make sure that I was going to actually do it and stick with it. So after a while of sitting and ruminating on it, I thought about it. I was like, yeah, this is, this is actually an ideal thing to do. And and so I do it now. And I meet with different parents that inspire me about the way that they live their life as a parent and how they manage it and stuff. And so it's definitely been a, a, a great experience of learning and seeing what other parents have experienced. Um, I mean, I've even talked to my parents and asked like, mm. what is it like for you guys? How yeah. is that? And, and, and it's interesting because I learned more about my parents that I didn't know before. So mm. it, it's been a fun journey. I would love to get my parents on a podcast. That's never going to happen. But <laughs> I can dream about it at least. I just never think they would. Never. No, they won't. They're they're Luddites. It's not going to happen. I, I as much as I would think it would be great just to kind of get their perspective. Yeah, eh, I don't think I would have to like sneak and record it or something. I couldn't just tell them like, <laughs> "Hey, we're going to record a podcast." And I show up with like a Zoom H six and a shotgun mic. It's not going to happen. Just, just tell them it's like radio. It's <laughs> nothing. Like, what I'm, you guys I'm still trying like, to explain this podcast to them, let alone <laughs> yeah, do something where like, their it, their voice is going to be on the internet. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, like look, it's basically like imagine you're talking to Tom Joyner. It's the same. There's no different. Okay, I'll, I'll I'll see if they'll go for that. We'll see if that happens. <laughs> never say never. <laughs> so with this this podcast, it's kind of like a second like creative outlet for you outside of work. That also kind of also it sounds like it lets you network a little bit too. Because you're meeting other parents, other working parents, at least, out there in your area. Yeah, absolutely. And I've, I've not even restricted it. And actually, I've not restricted it to like people that are local. And honestly, I've done more online interviews than I've done in person. And so I've had the podcast a little over a year. I started it December 2017. And so it's still I'm still growing and working out the kinks and figuring out this whole podcasting thing like running it and figuring out like it's its own business and you have to think of it that way and make sure that you're meeting deadlines in order to to keep your your fans happy and, and served yeah i don't think people realize that at first when they get into podcasting they think it's just oh we can 
sit behind a microphone and talk and it'll just magically go on the internet and people will love it. And it's so not that. (laughs) Yeah. I can, I can definitely say I am in that guilty party. I was like, yeah, how hard could it be? And then I started getting into editing. Um, Mm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Say no more. (laughs) Say no more. It's because it's not even so much that it's not even so much like the time with editing. I mean, that's part of it. But it's also you hearing your own voice back again over and over and over and over. And either you either get used to it or you still cringe every time you hear it or something. So I've gotten used to it. And uh, some people that I talked to about podcasting mentioned the voice thing. And I was like, honestly, there was, what is it, Pauly Shore? Mm-hmm. The guy with the annoying voice, the celebrity. I was like, I was like, look, if people haven't said that, my voice is annoying or told me to be quiet yet. Like my voice can't be that bad. I need to just suck <laughs> up, get with it and roll. And right. so I've gotten with it for that. But the issue for me is definitely the time. So like outside of work, my day-to-day schedule is drop my daughter to daycare, go to work, pick my daughter up from daycare, and then go home, figure out how to take care. I got to take care of the dog, feed the dog, got to feed my daughter constantly reminds me that she's hungry make sure that she doesn't do anything we're we're in the potty training phases so i have to check up on her constantly um then not dealing with the guilt too much of i'm just plopping my daughter down in front of a tv for Mm -hmm. a little while (laughs) and then then my wife will come home and i mean my day's busy but her day's also busy she leaves at 6 30 in the morning comes home at like 7 p.m on a good day Wow. And so I might get her help to do it. And then sometimes she'll be working weekends. I'm, I literally mean like the whole weekend. Wow. So, so I mean, it's time is one of the big issues for me for uh, keeping up with the podcast. You got to get an editor, man. You got to invest in an editor. They're cheaper I, than you think. I'll preface by saying that it's much cheaper than you think it is. Okay, we'll connect offline. Yeah, we'll talk. We'll talk offline. I'll, I'll I'll actually connect you with my editor because I know that he's looking right now, and okay. he is quite affordable. So I'll do that. All right, awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, no problem. So, what advice has really sort of stuck with you over the years throughout your career? I think it's it's not even something that's stuck with me through the years. It's something that's been new for me, and it's trust the process. I think it's the funniest thing of like how I just stumbled upon it. Ace Hood has an album called Trust the Process. Mm-hmm. And I've never would have gone and listened to a rap album as much as I love music. I never would have expected like a rap album to truly change the way that I think. But that project from Ace Hood is so good. And I kind of like say that it's like in, in a genre of its own of motivational hip hop. Okay. Or motivational rap. It's not your standard, like, I got money, I got this, I got that. But, like, Ace Hood came and talked about, like, his struggles and how he went through it and how there were ups and downs that he had to go through. But nonetheless, he stuck it through. He stayed loyal and he kept pushing. Mm-hmm. And when I first came to into it, it honestly was a bit of a bumpy start as I was, like, Shifting from a smaller, medium-sized company where I had more control over everything that would happen in my domain 
to I switched to Intuit, which was a larger company. There were way more stakeholders that I had to work with to get buy in and talk through with what they were going through. And so some of that culture shift caught me off guard. And I guess, again, I came in probably arrogant of I'm a good designer. I could do this. But reality check (laughs) knocked me back (laughs) on my butt a little bit. But it was because I was listening to Ace Hood at the time, I would make sure that like I just stayed humble and would actually listen to the feedback. Like that's one thing that I've heard from my managers here that would say like the fact that I've listened to the feedback and not gotten defensive and trying to do that. Like those are are strong suits for me that they don't see often in others. And so I was just trusting the process was just like, look, one line off the album that Ace Hood says and, and it stuck with me is when good thing happens, thank God. When bad things happen, thank God. Mm-hmm. And that that's definitely stuck with me and pushes me through. What keeps you motivated and inspired these days? When you say motivated and inspired, which way are you kind of referring to it? Just in general, what keeps you motivated and inspired? That's kind of funny. I don't have an answer. <laughs> really? Well, I thought you were going to say like your daughter or something or your wife or I, something. Not, see, not, I, to, not to put words in your mouth there, but I'm just, I'm just curious. Yeah, no, no. The reason I say I don't have it because I, I don't want to be what I feel is cliche. But I, you know what? Honestly, I guess it, it comes two ways to where, one, I've honestly struggled with finding motivation sometimes. And, like, I've, I've had bouts of depression and stuff. And, like, looking at the world today is, like, it could get very bleak. Mm. And you could get very upset and then, and then feel like, you know, you don't have any control over what's happening in the world. And then I can get like pessimistic or just a negative outlook of like, well, we're all going to die one day. So why try? I can get very down and negative about it. But I heard this quote yesterday while I was listening to a podcast, of course, (laughs) (laughs) there's a apparent theme here, but I was listening to a podcast and the guy was saying, you know, to look at the world and see that it's bad but then think that I'm going to leave this world worse off than it is for my kids. That's a, it's a shit excuse. Like I, you shouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. Like if there's something wrong with the world. Try to find some way to do it. And I think that's it. And I mean, I, I guess the the other issue for me is to not say my daughter, I feel like that's and and not to knock other parents. It's just the way that I'm viewed it myself, but it's like when people say, that school is not good enough for my kid. Mm-hmm. It's like, so your kid doesn't deserve to go there, but you think other kids should go there? Like, why Why are we not helping to make it better for all kids? And so I don't think it's just for me. I think it's just my motivation is I want the world to be better than when I, I left it. Okay. That's a fair answer. I like that. I didn't mean to, Earl, I didn't mean to. Like put words in your oh, mouth with that no, answer. No, no offense taken or nothing. <laughs> taken, trust me. I do have some questions here that come f- from our audience here. The first question is actually kind of related to what we talked about earlier with the type of work that you do. Have you ever used service design to address the criminal justice system? Not yet. I 
one project that I'm looking to start up and get rolling in 2022 is what I'm calling seed homes. Mm -hmm. And the basic idea is working with citizens that are returning from incarceration and helping them get on their feet with employment, education and, and skills training. And so the way I plan to do that is having a company, Seed Homes, where we would build tiny homes and then sell them. And again, it's I'm looking at 2022 to start actually like shipping and selling houses and seeing how that works. And so this is just it's it's a castle in the sky right now. But once I do get to that point and I am looking through it, I will be employing my different skills that I've learned throughout my entire career and service design being one of them. What is it about that particular cause that speaks to you? So I fell into the criminal justice system, like as an interest, I think by chance. So when I was in Atlanta, I was in my fraternity, Phi Beta Sigma. We had monthly meetings and we'd have it at the Fulton County Juvenile Justice Center. Mm-hmm. And one thing was that I was like, well, this is a great place to volunteer. And so some of the weekends I would end up going up there. And what they had was this group called the Learning Club, TLC. And it was I know that words are, are definitely have meaning and you have to be cautious with it. But I, I can't think of a better term. But what we would call at risk youth, which was basically and bluntly to put it black boys, black Mm -hmm. teens who were having issues. You would probably see a girl in there here and there, but you would never see any other race. And so that kind of opened up my eyes of like, and and, and it was just known as there was the high school to to prison pipeline, which Mm -hmm. was, it's known that it's there and no one's really doing anything about it. And so I started getting into it with that. And then I read Michelle Alexander's book, The New Jim Crow, and was entirely moved, recognizing what mass incarceration has done to the United States and to people of color. And it's once you get a felony, like, good luck. Any and everything after that, it's you struggle to get a job, you struggle to get a house, and it's like okay, if we had people in jail and they supposedly already served their time and they're supposed to be rehabilitated, when they come out and they're trying to do better for themselves, but they can't get a home, they can't get a job, where do you think they're going to (laughs) do in order to get money, in order to survive? They're going to go back to possibly doing different illicit activities. And one of the big ones in our country is the war on drugs, where Again, people of color are disproportionately targeted for those issues or or those offenses. And then the crimes or not the crime, but the the penalty for it is massive. Yeah. And so ever since then, been interested and I've I've always done little volunteering. Like even now I go to a local jail out here. And we have a what we call a reentry resource table where we where people that are coming out of jail, we hand them pamphlets and say, hey, there are reentry sources that the county is providing. So if you want help 
getting on your feet, helping with substance abuse, helping with finding a shelter. We have different things available. Please just come to this, call this number, go to this place and get that help. And so, I mean, even now I'm still just volunteering, but in the end, I know that I can have a larger impact. And so I think with Seed Homes, this is this is that channel for me to make that impact. Wow, that's really powerful, man. Congratulations to you. No, no, I mean, seriously, because, I mean, it's funny you mentioned that because it just uh, reminded me about how so many people that had criminal convictions in Florida just recently got their rights to vote reinstated. And like when you talk about when you, like you say, you enter the criminal justice system, you lose so much. I mean, it's something that affects me personally because my my older brother has went through that. He's, uh, see, I'm 37. He's 41 now. And he's been in and out of jail, I'd say probably for about the better part of about 15 to 20 years. And now it's at the point where like getting jobs is difficult. Just re-entering yeah. back into yeah. society after you've paid your debt after that is such a a monumental barrier in so many ways. Not even just, you know, for basic things like getting a job or finding a place to stay, but even just, you know, the stigma from society, you know? Oh, yeah. And so, oh, yeah. you know, being able to kind of give back in that way, I think, is, is really powerful, man. Congratulations to you. Thanks. Thanks. It's definitely, it, like I said, it, I was reflecting on it recently, and I was like, how did I get interested in criminal justice? And I, and I traced it back to going to the Juvenile Justice Center in Fulton County and, and going to the Learning Club and then seeing the reality yeah. and recognizing it, these are kids that are A, like me, and they've made a mistake Mm-hmm. And now we're not trying to help them correct the mistake. We're trying to tell them forever. You're bad and you're less than a person and you need to be treated as such. And it's just like, well, if you're going to tell somebody that they're bad, how do you what do you expect from them? Yeah. We're not going to change anything. And so, yeah, it's, it's just lit, enough, lit a fire in me. I've I've seen myself in those kids. I've seen my friends in those kids. And it's just like I just know I can't always complain about situations. I got to get up and do something about it. Yeah. What does success look like for you? Success for me, and I'm going to steal this from Master P on Solange's oh, God. See the Table <laughs> album. No, no. But it's, no, it's go ahead. I want to hear it. I want to hear it. Go ahead. It's a good quote. <laughs> success is being able to go to sleep at night and not just like, oh, you close your eyes and went to sleep, but like going to sleep, feeling proud and being happy with whatever you did. So one thing for me, I I think in American society, we put a price tag on success and try to say, if you don't have a BMW in your driveway, you're not successful. Mm -hmm. And that just doesn't register with me. Like being attached to material goods and, and being caught up in like the never ending rat race of capitalism, like that's not success for me. Success is I'm content with the life that I lead and I've not hurt anyone. I've not done anything wrong and I'm doing the best that I can for my family. And so that's what success is for me. Do you feel like between work and between like the podcast and even volunteering with what you're doing, are you satisfied creatively? Do you feel that way? When I get to run the podcast and I'm deeply involved in that, Typically, I'm able to to reach that that level of satisfaction. Excuse me. Sometimes I have to I, I do look for other outlets to to do different things because 
one, being at a larger company, you don't get the ability to create your own thing. If I decided one day like, oh, man, QuickBooks would look great if it wasn't hot pink and we get a whole new batch of, of customers like that doesn't mean anything like my creativity may be valid, which in this case is likely wrong, but <laughs> you're not in full control at a larger company. And so there's definitely something I battle with. And then one thing I do to kind of like keep my creativity going and have different outlets is either a finding smaller projects that I can do at work that are contributing to the company, but yet I still have more creative reins, hold control over the creative reins, or I'll try to do something on the side. And I've honestly not been great with side projects. That's I guess that's kind of why I say it with kind of flaky. <laughs> so, <laughs> I guess those are probably some of my creative outlets. What advice would you give to somebody that wants to follow in your footsteps? So, I mean, I guess depending on who's asking it, I would say if you're coming out of college and you wanted to follow in my footsteps, I would I would say one, like, don't just look at what I did and see what what you can mimic. I would say one, shoot higher. And I just expect that of everyone. And two, also just just be patient. A lot of my life, what do people say? It's like wishing my life away of when I was in undergrad. I was like, oh, man, I really wish I was done with college so I could go get a job. And then after that, it was working. And then just and it was like after a while, it's like you just life is life. It's going to be there. You got to take your time and go through it and figure it out. And so that's for someone that, that I feel is coming out of college. For someone that's either A, older, or B, just been in the field for a while, I mean, I think it goes back to trust the process of know what you have to do in order to to climb the ladder of success, however you look at the ladder. Know that you have to take those steps to do it and, and push through. Where do you see yourself in the next like five years or so? What kind of work do you want to be doing? In the next five years, I, like I mentioned before, I definitely want to be fully involved in the Seed Homes work and helping my community with through the criminal justice system and having an impact on that. I think I've, I've gotten a kind of like, I don't know how much it applies out in Atlanta anymore or whatnot, but I've seen it out here to where it's kind of like, work in tech, get your tech money and then bounce and then go do what you really want to do. Mm. And so I think that's kind of where I want to be to where I do it. And then I'm, I'm out doing my seed home projects, which I'm still battling with and trying to figure out, like I love tech <laughs> and, and, and designing software. And so like, how, how am I going to make that transition happen? Will I still work part-time? Will I, like, I haven't thought of all that, but but in five years, I want my seat home business to be up and running and, and changing lives. You said on the podcast you would, uh, you would try to bring it to Atlanta, right? Yes. I will be back in Atlanta this year once my wife finishes residency. Okay. So, oh. yeah. 
Well, certainly I think we could use it out here. I definitely think that. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm kind of interested to see where the criminal justice system falls and, and what it's like back in Atlanta. Most of my experience was with the juvenile system, so I, I don't know how the adult system is. And, and also one thing of knowing what resources the county provides. Mm-hmm. Some, yeah, some counties are great and, and offer different things for people to get on their feet. And some counties, A, don't have it or B, don't care. Yeah. So just figuring that's, that out. That's true. Well, Sean, just to kind of wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more about you and about your work online? You can find out more about me at my website, um, SeanMosley.com. It's honestly not much up there right now. <laughs> it's just pretty much a picture of me. But if anything, I, uh, you're also interested in the podcast, then you can go to SuccessfulWhileParenting.com and you can learn about the show. And yeah, those are pretty much the best ways to, to follow up and learn more. All right. Sounds good. Well, Sean Mosley, I definitely want to thank you so much for coming on the show. I mean, first, just thank you for just, I mean, sharing your story about what it's like working out there as a designer and being out there with your family. But also, you know, this this work that you're doing with helping out the criminal justice system, I think is something that is super powerful right now. And I, I really want to see where you end up going with that in the future. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It is an absolute pleasure. Thoughts of love are in and that's it for this week. Big thanks to Sean Mosley and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Sean and his work through the links in the show notes at glitch.com forward slash revision path. Also, thanks as always to our sponsors, Facebook Design, Google Design, and MailChimp. Designing at Facebook means more than just making pixel-perfect prototypes. It's designing experiences like disaster relief tools or get-out-the-vote efforts. It's working on problems that transform a number of different industries, and it also means caring about the design community and giving back to it as well. If you like influencing strategy and working alongside technical leads and engineers on a product from start to finish, then Facebook design might be for you. Learn more at facebook.com forward slash design. Google Design is a cooperative effort led by designers, writers, and developers at Google. They work across teams to publish original content, produce great events, and foster creative and educational partnerships that advance both design and technology. For more information on news, design resources, and the design podcasts, check them out at design.google. MailChimp is the world's largest marketing automation platform. They support millions of customers from small e-commerce shops to big online retailers, and they support the creative community as well, including us. Make emails, ads, landing pages, and more all without ever leaving the site. Visit MailChimp.com and sign up for a free account today. Revision Path is brought to you by Glitch, the friendly community where you'll find the app of your dreams. Make sure you check us out at Glitch.com. We're also powered by Simplecast, the easiest way for podcasters to publish and distribute audio on the internet. Check the show notes for a link to sign up for a 14-day free trial. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro voiceover is by Music Mandre with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. If you liked this episode, then let more people know about it by leaving us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. 
It only takes about a minute or so to do, and it really, really helps spread the word about Revision Path everywhere. Really helps out a lot. You can also find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, or wherever you find your favorite shows. And make sure you're following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as well. Just search for Revision Path. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.